Hello, high floor, low ceiling listeners. This is Chris. Uh, it's great to be speaking with you again. Uh, you may have noticed that we were off for a little bit. We were uh, undone by time and space. We were working on other projects, Griffin and myself. Uh, so we had to take a little bit of a break. We did record an episode last week that we are going to put out now. It was done over Zoom. We talk about it a little bit on the episode. So rest assured, we will be back giving you a uh, our usual dulcet tones next week. But until then, enjoy this Zoom edition of High Floor, Low Ceiling. Hello and welcome. Oh, you're doing music? (laughs) Yeah, sorry. I had to supply the music there. Well, welcome to everyone to High Floor, Low Ceiling, the online edition. Uh, You might notice that the audio is not as crisp as usual, that we don't sound as energized and enthused as usual because we are doing our first ever online episode. Griffin, I'm looking at you on a screen. I don't have a camera, so I'm not, you're not looking at me, but uh, it's it's a strange experience to be so far away from each other yeah it really is i uh, i don't like it very much i'll tell you that much i like to podcast right next to you um so we'll be back in the studio next week but we still we didn't want to deny you guys a week of the hflc so we had to get this one out there yeah and how was your uh, uh, oh, go ahead. vacation to lovely your lovely hometown chris yeah i'm in the city of london not the good one unfortunately i won't be taking in a uh Who's playing this week? The Jaguars? Or I always just default to assume that the Jaguars are the team playing in London in any given NFL week. <laughs> but uh, I won't be taking in an NFL game this week. I will be celebrating my grandmother's 100th birthday. So huge shout out to Eileen. Uh, by the time this comes out, it will almost be time for the celebration. Her birthday is not till next month. So uh, this may this is a slightly macabre joke, but. I've remarked to my family that it would be awkward if we had the party and then uh, in the intervening month, you can you can fill in the blank there. Mm. Well, uh, <laughs> I believe in your grandmother's uh, resilience and fortitude. I think I'm putting I'm willing to stake an HFLC point on her making it. Yeah, that's actually Is that. I would rather too cavalier. <laughs> I mean, I don't think it's too cavalier. I would just rather you didn't because uh, the teams that you know, I think the the three zero curse is continuing. Considering oh, God, the uh, right. the state of the Vegas Raiders, the state of the Denver Broncos, the state of uh, a lot of those former three zero teams are no longer looking as attractive as they used to. So, uh, best of luck and Godspeed to all those teams. But Griffin, you, I think uh, you were tweeting last night about a WNBA finals game, game two, that I did not get a chance to see, but it sounds like it was a barn burner. Oh my God, was it ever. That was, I know we don't like to, by the time this podcast comes out, this might be old news. Game three might have happened, but uh, what a game Two. I mean, this is exactly what you want from the finals. Two fantastic teams filled with superstars going head to head. Diana Taurasi with a four-point play in overtime. Brittany Griner as dominant as ever. Full disclosure, I'm, I'm leaning Mercury because we got the Kia nurse connection. Uh-huh. You and I are Canadian. We love Kia. 
So uh, I was really happy to see the Mercury win, but more than that, I was just happy to see great basketball being played. That's what you want from any finals, I think. If you're not watching the WA NBA finals and you like basketball, you're only robbing yourself. Like, yeah, the it's been it's been a really a uh, strong playoffs overall. Um, definitely on high floor, low ceiling. We support our nurses, so uh, we do. We are forced to lean Mercury in these finals, but. You know, we, we prefer to remain impartial in these matters. Um, some podcast housekeeping, you know, the, the reviews have started rolling in, Griffin, and it's, it seems like we're a hit. Yeah, I mean, thank you to everyone who went through the effort to leave a review for us on Apple Podcast. Um, that really means a lot that you guys took the time. If you haven't and you do listen on Apple Podcast, please take the time. We would love that. Uh, we're big fans of all of you for listening and so if you've been liking the podcast just it would really mean a lot to us to just leave a quick rating and let us know what you like and even if there's something more you want from it so yeah give us a shout yeah and uh i believe we uh you said that we had a listener coming from a a far-flung locale yes according to our advanced analytics which I check obsessively because I love stats <laughs> and these are stats about me. So what more could I possibly want? We do have one listener current or maybe even more than one. It just shows me percentages and I can't do the math, mm-hmm. but we do have an audience in Germany. So uh, I'm not sure if you clicked on it by accident or if you're just, maybe you're on vacation, but if you are the German listener listening in, I just wanted to say, uh, hello, Danke, mm. das du den Podcast angehört hast. So like, that's my little message to our German fan. We love you. You really, you really couldn't decide whether to go for a borderline offensive accent or no accent at all. To me, that's how you just figure out the good accent. Uh, <laughs> sure. You, you, you walk that middle line. Absolutely. Uh, And speaking of middle lines, that's what we don't want to walk right now because we never hedge our bets on high floor, low ceiling. Uh, Let's get to our first segment. Uh, The NHL, the puck was dropped, Griffin, um, I believe on Tuesday night. Is that correct? Uh, Yes. The first games were on Tuesday night. Yes. So we've seen, you know, we've seen a couple of games by now. I don't know how much you've been watching the hometown Toronto Maple Leafs kicked off their season last night uh, with a win over the Montreal Canadiens. But, you know, I'm not the, I'm not a major hockey fan. I will confess, Um, you know, I'm, I'm doing my best to follow along more closely than usual this season. Uh, So this will probably be mostly me posing questions to you, but we're going to do a little NHL preview here. We're going to talk mostly about uh, teams on the bubble talk about playoff teams talk about where you see things shaking out in these divisions because this is you know I have a general sense of where teams are at but this is largely unfamiliar territory so I'm very interested to hear uh, what you think of these teams are you ready to uh, to talk some some puck as the cool kids call it oh I love to talk a little chill <laughs> a little puck a little frozen pond oh, I'm not sure about that last one what did I say? You said Pock, uh, which I believe... I must have said Pock. I refuse to believe that I said Pock. Well, we'll go back to the to the tape and review that later. I'm sure eagle-eared listeners will be on you for that one. But uh, so we're talking about... Well, really, let's, let's, let's start with the more broad spectrum view. I think it's fair to say 
I, I only have three mortal locks for the playoffs, and those are the Colorado Avalanche, the Vegas Golden Knights, and the Tampa Bay Lightning. Do you agree that, A, do you agree that all of those teams are mortal locks that 100% you'd bet your house on them getting in? And do you think that there's any other team that I'm missing out of that list? I mean, yes, those three teams, I can't see any universe in which they do not make the playoffs. Um, I do think that if there are teams that I certainly think are very, very likely to make the playoffs, but Mm -hmm. those three are the only ones that I would literally bet anything I had on. I'm not, I mean, (laughs) nothing's ever a lock in sports and in life, but I'm, we don't hedge. We've established this is not a hedge hedge pod. So I'm saying hundred percent guaranteed Colorado, Vegas, Tampa Bay headed to the NHL playoffs. Yeah, uh, our least favorite movie on high floor, low ceiling, The Big Short. Too much hedging. I thought you were going to say Over the Hedge. Sure. Or uh, I was thinking about about Nutty by Nature, but that's, of course, the sequel to The Nut Job, not to Over the Hedge. Mm. Sort of a a, an Armageddon deep impact thing going on between Over the Hedge and The Nut Job. I haven't seen either film, but I assume. That's a fair assumption, I think. Um, okay, so we have those three mortal locks. I have a group of five. Wait, can I count? Yes, five teams that I that I call the second tier that you could maybe put one team or a couple of these teams into the locks group. So I'm going to ask you to pick one here. So I have a list here that's Toronto, the Maple Leafs, the Carolina Hurricanes, the Florida Panthers, the Boston Bruins, and the New York Islanders. I want you to take one of those teams, and you're going to elevate them into the the Colorado, Vegas, Tampa. You're you're staking a significant amount of money on this team going to the playoffs. If I had to choose one of those five, my heart says Toronto. My brain says probably not. I'm going to choose the Florida Panthers, Chris. I love that forward core. There's a little bit of a goaltending controversy there, so that worries me. But in the end, Florida, I think that they just – Uh, They can score the goals required to get into the playoffs. They scored 189 goals in just 56 games last year. Uh, They had one of the best records in the league, went 25 and three at home. That warm, soft ice apparently does them some advantages. So Florida Panthers, you can put basically as a lock. And is there, is there a team in that list? Like, do you think that I got it right? Is there a team that, you're you'd knock out of that group or do you think all of those teams are you know in the very likely category to to be a playoff team uh yeah i think that if you go down those lists i mean the one i would be most concerned about honestly is toronto just because of how hard it's going to be to make the playoffs in the eastern conference and carolina i didn't love carolina's offseason but they're still obviously a great team boston always gets in and the islanders have the best coaching staff in the league so Toronto, I could see a season where things go very wrong for them, but I do think that you chose the right teams there. I find it interesting that they were all in the Eastern Conference. Yeah, um, Toronto, of course, currently leading the conference as of uh, Thursday morning with two points. Uh, no other team in the Atlantic Division has any points. So if, th- if that holds, then they'll be in a great position. But yeah, all they um, need to do is win out. Is that what you're saying? Yeah, I mean, they, they control their own destiny at this point, is what I'll say. <laughs> um, let's turn our attention, though. Uh, well, actually, sticking with the Atlantic for one second, 
there was I was looking at betting odds for this because, you know, that's my go to for sort of seeing what the general temperature is on a given team. And when I looked uh, a few days ago, just before the season started, Toronto, the Maple Leafs were favored over the lightning to win the Atlantic division. Is that like insano? You should jump on that bet. Or is that like, maybe there's something to this. Uh, I would say put a lot of money on the Tampa Bay lightning. If you can get any sort of odds, the lightning are, I mean, what else can you say? They're back-to-back Stanley cup champions clearly the best team in the nhl even though they didn't quite play up to a best team in the nhl standard last year but they've got nikita kucherov back had to lose a couple pieces this offseason but did a pretty good job i mean i don't think there's any doubt that the lightning should finish this season on top of the atlantic slam money on that bet your house and then blame me if it goes wrong that's how confident i am so you have you have no doubts about that i know uh you know they sort of had a bit of a bit of a brain drain in the off season. Definitely. Would you say that they got worse in the off season? Is that fair to say? Yeah, I think that the flat cap uh, really messed with a lot of teams, but I think most of the teams in the Atlantic got or not. In, well, yeah, in the Atlantic got worse this off season, like Tampa Bay uh, got worse. I think the Leafs got worse in the off season. I think that the Bruins uh, didn't really blow me away i think florida's got their goaltending problems montreal definitely got worse through the losses of weber and price buffalo's terrible ottawa's terrible detroit's terrible so i think the atlantic is a weakened division compared to the powerhouse it's been in previous years but you've still got the four really good teams and tampa's the best of the best yeah for sure um so now let's turn our attention to the the opposite side of the uh, the other ocean as i like to call it the pacific division uh, the Seattle Kraken, they opened their uh, inaugural season the other night. They play, had played a very entertaining game against the Golden Knights, ended up losing. Uh, I believe it was a 4-3 game. So let's just start with Seattle. Do you are, do you think that they're a serious playoff contender, or do you think that this is – I know you, I saw a tweet from you talking about how uh, they were what an expansion team is supposed to look like. So what do you think of them as a, as a uh, playoff contender going forward? I – I want to be nice. I think Seattle is going to be, I'm glad they're in the NHL. I like the logo. <laughs> I like the jerseys. I like the city go Kraken. You've got my heart, not a playoff contender. And that's not like, as I was stating in that tweet that you're referencing, Vegas screwed everyone up. Expansion teams are not supposed to be playoff contenders. Right. Like they're not doing anything wrong. It's just that Vegas somehow cracked the code and broke the system. And then Seattle didn't want to do the things Vegas did for forever, for whatever reason, with trading uh, draft picks for protections and things like that nearly as much as the Knights did. But Seattle's not going to make the playoffs, and I don't hold that against them. I don't think that that's a bad thing. So more or less, then, if we're talking about, you know, top three teams in the division, you would say that the Pacific is pretty locked. Because if you're excluding the Kraken, you have the Golden Knights on the top, and then probably the Oilers and then the Flames. Is that is that fair to say? Are there any possible surprises? Do the Canucks have a chance? Do the Sharks have a chance here? Uh, I don't think the Sharks have much of a chance. Yeah, I think after Vegas, if you're looking at the two other teams for those automatic playoff berths, you're looking at the three Canadian teams, the Oilers, the Canucks, and the Flames. And of those three, barring a dramatic offseason move, I actually think the Flames end up on the outside 
looking in. Uh, mm-hmm. I don't love their uh, leadership after losing Mark Giordano. Obviously, that was a calculated risk on their part, but I still think he was a big part of that team. Uh, the goaltending has been shaky the last couple of years. Edmonton, Connor will probably do enough to get them in. Him, Dreisaitl, and uh, Zach Hyman. I'm not sure if you saw last night, Chris, on the power play. They had a beautiful passing play to set up Hyman for a wide-open goal. So they'll be able to get enough done to get in. And I like Vancouver. I think that they're a young team on the rise. Braden Holtby has really solidified things in the net. I think he's going to have a good year. Uh, yeah, I think the Canucks can definitely find their way back into the playoffs this year. Um, and there, there's no hope for Anaheim, right? Like, well, we, I mean, I know that the Kings are terrible. Is An- Anaheim's pretty much like Kings tier, right? Yeah, Anaheim. They're rebuilding. They've got a couple. There, a couple guys <laughs> left over, but. Anaheim, San Jose, LA. It's a it's a rough year in California hockey. Yeah. So if you, this is just a this just came to me in my my beautiful mind that thinks of these things. Mm. But if you if you're picking the best team in the division, maybe let's take the Knights out of the equation. If you're picking the best team three years from now, is there a team that sticks out as like this is the bright future team? Is it is it Vancouver? I think it could be. Yeah. If we're ignoring Vegas, Vancouver has that great young forward core. Uh, LA's also got a couple good prospects coming up through the system. I'm really excited for Quinton Byfield, but yeah, I, I got to say the Vancouver Canucks, if you're looking for a couple years from down the road, could be another good age of hockey coming in Vancouver. Absolutely. Um, so, you know, my, my one's got to go strategy did not work out because of your, your anti Seattle, frankly, bias. Uh, but let's shift our, our gaze to the central division. So looking at them, obvi- you have the sort of the same situation where you have an obvious number one, you have the avalanche in that division. And then I've got three teams that can sort of fill the other two spots there. And those are Minnesota, the Minnesota wild, the Dallas stars and the Winnipeg jets. So if you're excluding one of those teams from the equation group and who are you taking out of that group? Um, I mean, if we're just going off of last night, the Jets look bad. They lost 4-1 to the Ducks, who are not, I don't think, going to be very good this year. But I still think, in general, of those three, I'm excluding the Dallas Stars. Obviously had that great bubble run to the couple couple years ago, but it just doesn't seem super sustainable for them. And also, this is just a very, very good division. Even teams like uh, St. Louis and Chicago could end up making some noise. So I think that they're going to have a tough schedule all year. Uh, and I think in the end, it'll be the Dallas stars on the outside looking in. Yeah. And uh, so do you, you know, Minnesota, they sort of feel like they're on the rise. Uh, they have that, that young fellow. What's his name? Uh, are you talking about the reigning Calder trophy champion? That is exactly what I'm talking about. And you of course know his name and you're going of to course. tell me what his name is as soon as I finish this sentence. But before I do that, I want to talk about the uh, the Winnipeg Jets. They've got a great goalie. And Griffin, what is the name of that other player for the Minnesota Wild? I can't believe... Well, you really just... Uh, I was waiting for you to finish so that I could tell you that his name is Kirill Kaprizov. Yeah. Uh, I did know that that was his name. I want to double check that I would pronounce it correctly. I don't think I did pronounce it correctly, but I wanted to make sure I at least said the letters in the right order. Absolutely. <laughs> the letters in the right order. Very well put. Uh, they also have a guy whose I believe his last name is Ek. So uh, 
huge shout out to him, Joel Erickson Eck. Great last name. Is Hyphenated this... last name, just like you, Chris. It actually has a space. I'm sorry to report. I do keep oh, track of these things. I'm a fraud. You, you keep an eye out for athletes with hyphenated last names? Absolutely. Dorian Finney-Smith, huge shout out to him. Uh, Shai Gilgis Alexander. Absolutely. Uh, but so Minnesota, their team, they feel like they're on the rise. Do you think that their team that like will be a year over year improver that could be threatening? I mean, I think Colorado is going to be around for a while, but you know, threatening to be a high quality playoff team at the very least in the West. Do you think that's that's what their path looks like? Yeah, Minnesota's funny because obviously just by merit of the fact that they play in Minnesota and we live in Canada, you never hear much about them during the regular season. And then you check when you're checking, hey, who's going to make the playoffs? And they're always just sitting there ready to make the playoffs. So, mm-hmm. uh, yeah, I think Minnesota definitely is one of those sleeper teams that people don't always think about, but they're in a good place and they'll uh, they'll be around for a while. Keep an eye on the green and cream of the minnesota wild wow that's their color scheme i I almost said green and gold but that wouldn't have been correct and we only bring our listeners the truth chris yeah sort of a sort of a milwaukee bucks thing going on there wonder if it's a sort of a northern midwest kind of vibe that they have going on also shout out to our midwest listeners of course every episode oh yeah uh, as always yeah we have to give them some love uh Minnesota, that's what the, do you that's think the of, northern Midwest. That's a, that's a region that we haven't really touched on yet, but we love you as well. Precisely. Uh, what do you think of the Minnesota Wild logo? Because I feel like I've seen some mixed things. I'm a huge fan, personally. What are your thoughts I on this? I am also into it. It took me too long to realize that it was the head of a bear. Sure. Um, but I do really like the logo. I think it's one of the most creative in the NHL. It stands out. You look at that and you don't think of... Uh, you don't think it looks like anything else. I say that as I, as I look at it directly next to the Nashville Predators logo. That might be the one other logo that it looks kind of similar to. But aside from that, big shout out to whoever designed that Minnesota Wild logo. I love it. I love their whole color scheme, their whole aesthetic. We don't see enough mm-hmm. green in sports, I think. Mm-hmm. Uh, so especially that darker forest green. So yeah. big shout out to the Wild. Huge. Uh, my mind wanted to call it navy green. <laughs> So huge wow. shout out to that color. You uh, might be onto something there. I think it. I New think that could be shade a, of green. I think that could be a game changer. Also, very, uh, very underrated that the Wild went to seven games against the Golden Knights in the playoffs last year. I completely forgot about that. Deleted it from my mind. Uh, they, as they with battled... most things, Minnesota sports. I think. Yeah, it's a it's a sad truth, but they they battled back from a three one deficit and ended up going to game seven. I think the playoffs look very different if uh, if they win that game seven. They did lose by four goals in that game seven, but you know. Uh, but, but that's what I'm saying. The Wild are always just there. No one ever thinks about them, and then they just find themselves there. They just they just sneak by. Yeah, absolutely. But you would say that Winnipeg. They're, they're a better team right now, right? In terms of top to bottom roster construction, I think, you know, maybe it is a Canadian bias, but I feel like I hear more about Winnipeg's depth pieces. And with Minnesota, usually, you know, you have the top line guys. They got rid of Parise and Suter last year. And so, you know, you don't, you don't care as much about their sort of top to bottom quality. Yeah, I think Winnipeg just... Like, no insult to Minnesota, Winnipeg is just one of the deepest constructed teams in the league, backed by probably maybe the second best goalie in the league. It's tough to say. There are a lot of good goalies in the NHL, but mm-hmm. Connor Hellebuck, Hellebuck is an absolute stud. 
So yeah, just through no fault of their own, Winnipeg still, I think, head and shoulders, this clear second best team in that division. For sure. Um, so let's turn our attention now to the Metropolitan Division. A mm. let's let's start with the name. What do we think of this here? Because Awful. I know there was there was a a league realignment, I believe, a few years ago, and that's when the the Metropolitan came into existence. Is that my do I have my history right there? Yeah, uh, sticks out like a sore thumb. Atlantic, Pacific, Central, basically the simplest, easiest names you could come up with. And then Metropolitan. I get that it's sort of all centered around the New York, Philadelphia. I I don't want to come out and call it the tri-state area, but I think that's what the tri-state area is. Um, But just, you got to think of something better than that. Just call it the East. Yeah. Don't call the Atlantic the Atlantic. Call the Atlantic I think the that's the problem is the Atlantic. But then you have the Florida Panthers getting in there who are, you know, the, the South of the North and, and Tampa as well. It's, it's a, it's a tough situation for the, the, the branding people at the NHL. So best of luck to them. Um, the metropolitan division. I mean, I don't know if I am underrating certain teams here. Uh, the Penguins opened their season and looked really strong. They won by four goals without Sidney Crosby. Uh, but you know, you're talking about teams in the metropolitan and, you know, we put, we penciled Carolina in earlier in the discussion. So if you take that as a given, then, you know, you have one of these teams, which is going to be a playoff team. And I have here the Pittsburgh Penguins, the Washington Capitals, the Philadelphia Flyers, and the New York Rangers, I think are a sneaky team that could, uh, could be in the running for a playoff spot this year. If you were to pick one of those teams to make the playoffs, to make any kind of significant run in the playoffs, who's who's your pick out of that, that group? Uh, I really, I mean, I don't like the New York Islanders, but I think the pick has to be the New York Islanders. They play such sound defensive hockey. They just, I mean, it's a cliche that I'll get into, but they just win hockey games. They don't win them beautifully but the goal of the game is to win. And that's what the New York Islanders do. So I think they're the ones that all central in the Metro for a deep playoff run. Yeah. I think they are definitely like, you know, like I said, they were previously, we have them in the, in our sort of upper tier. I think it's partly because of the weakness of the division that you can sort of pencil them in for a guaranteed playoff spot. Um, But, you know, I think it's interesting because, you know, Pittsburgh, Washington, they're sort of like the old guard. And then Philly, you know, Philly's kind of an in-between right now. And then the Rangers as the, they're not exactly young, but they are up-and-comers over in New York. If you were to pick between, you know, the veteran experience of Pittsburgh and Washington and the more up-and-comitude, I'll I'll coin that phrase, of Philly and the Rangers, if you were to sort of pick pick a pair, who, who are you going with? I mean, I'm personally, I'm a big believer in what we've seen before influencing what we will see in the future. I think veterans matter in hockey more than most sports, getting guys who know how to win. Pittsburgh's got their injuries. Washington's getting older. But in the end, give me Pittsburgh and Washington. I believe in their time isn't over quite yet. Yeah, I mean, based on what we saw the other night between Washington and New York, I think that's a fair assessment. Uh, but Griffin, thank you for for educating me and our listening audience on what's coming up in the NHL this season. I'm sure we'll 
be checking in on the various. Oh, uh, oh no. I was just going to say, we'll keep an eye on it. Oh, God, this is the Zoom effect, you see. Yeah, precisely. We, we can't the, read each other's body language. Yeah, usually, usually when I want to talk, I sort of lean forward. I shake my hand in front of your face. Uh, sometimes I just cut your mic off entirely. So it's a, it's a tough situation here. But we will do our best to forage forward. And we will return after a short break on high floor, low ceiling. And welcome back to High Floor, Low Ceiling. Hello. Wait, did I do that last week? I think that was a very similar okay, wait, voice. Let me, the one let me try week. and think of something new. Um, uh, so, so now it just feels forced. I'll, I'll come back yeah, to it next well, week. This was an interesting bit to start because it, you really committed yourself. And now you've run out of voices by episode three. <laughs> yeah. I famously don't like doing voices. That's not true at all. Um but I'll, I'll come back to that. I'll just take a loss on that one. Put it down in the uh, HF uh, LC point tally. That's a negative one point. Yeah, I'm at, I'm at a plus one, I would say, overall for my voices returning from break. Right, um, two up, one down. I'll take it. Precisely. So we're going to turn our attention to the NBA, as we like to do uh, every now and again here on High Floor, Low Ceiling. We're going to talk about a player who has been in the news lately. <laughs> Uh, I think they're, you know, at, just, just by saying that, they, it immediately narrows it down to two names. Uh, and this is the, in my mind, the more interesting one. It's Kyrie Irving. Uh, for the umpteenth time, he is in the news. Uh, once again, probably not for the best of reasons. Uh, it, it's still very much unclear how things will proceed with his vaccination status and all that stuff. At the very least, it seems right now he won't be playing in home games. Uh, the Nets weren't having him at practice until he's vaccinated. And he, uh, just last night actually, was sort of making some statements, coming out, explaining his rationale, which was uh, interesting, <laughs> to yeah. say the least. Did you, did you see any of this? Oh, I caught the blowback. I did not watch a Kyrie Irving Instagram live because no. uh, I value my own sanity. But, I mean, I... I don't think it's a stretch to say he'll never play another game as a Brooklyn net. Do you? Or, wow, that's or like, because Kyrie is not going to back down from this. He claims to not be anti-vaccine. He's pro people who are anti-vaccine. Basically, he just wants to stand up for their rights. Who People who have lost their job because of vaccine mandates, which is just shut the hell up, Kyrie. <laughs> wow. Like, I'm not going to. If, if it was the flat earth thing, that was one thing because it's like, oh, tried to claim it was a social experiment. It wasn't. Um, but that's relatively harmless. Sure, it teaches thousands of kids all over the country to be anti-science. But this is something that is saving people's lives, the COVID-19 vaccine. It's a scientific miracle. And we're, we should be so universally grateful and lucky to have it. And you claiming that you want to use your platform to help I don't even know what he wants to do. He doesn't want to do anything. He just wants to make a bunch of noise. I don't know Kyrie Irving. Obviously, I'm not in his head. I don't want to make a bunch of statements about what he's trying to do. But based on what he has presented to the public, Kyrie has no real plan. He just wants to stand up and be a voice for anti-vaxxers. And I don't think he's ever going to get this vaccine. So the way that this resolves is either the state of New York 
or the city of New York City drops its vaccine mandates to accommodate Kyrie Irving, which I don't think they will do, or he plays somewhere else. Those are the only two ways I can see this resolving. Yeah, I mean, I I truly don't know. I was uh, working on an article about uh, NBA over-unders last night, and I was I was basically making my picks operating under the assumption that he will not play a game this season. Uh, not because I truly believe that he will sit out this season entirely, but just because it's impossible to know one way or the other right now. I feel like there's a lot of a lot of balls in the air across the NBA, really, uh, at this point, considering Ben Simmons and, you know, just in general, not quite knowing how this season will shake out. But uh, there... I mean, there is the report that Kevin Durant and James Harden are going to have a meeting with him or something. Maybe that'll change his mind. But from what we see as public onlookers, Kyrie doesn't seem like the type of guy who gets his mind changed very easily when he gets on something like this. Obviously, now... KD is his friend. They wanted to play together. So maybe that'll have an impact. But I don't think that the Brooklyn Nets, specifically Sean Marks and Steve Nash, want anything to do with him as long as he's going to do things like this. Yeah, it's it's certainly it puts the organization in a difficult spot. Um, especially <laughs> you can say that again. <laughs> especially, you know, if they do want to pursue a trade, it obviously has a drastic impact on his trade value. Uh, there have been, you know, reports. These reports came out even, I think, last year when there was talk about a trade that if Kyrie was traded from Brooklyn, he would retire from the NBA. I don't know how much I believe that, but if it's his strategy to avoid getting traded, I think that that is a pretty effective one, probably. Uh, I think that a Kyrie trade probably isn't going to happen anytime soon. But I don't want to let that stop us. Uh, I want to talk about trading Kyrie Irving because it's a very interesting scenario because you don't see uh, situations too often. Well, more and more these days, but where a, a superstar type of player comes onto the market. And in those situations, there's usually two types of teams that have interest in, in a Kyrie Irving type player. There's a contender that's looking for you know another piece to the puzzle to make a big three you know, almost like what the Nets themselves did when they traded for James Harden. They had two stars. They wanted a third to make them into a genuine super team. Uh, and then the other side is you have teams that are trying to make the playoffs. I'm thinking of like the Sacramento Kings. They've been linked to Ben Simmons a lot. I think that that's the kind of situation that we could potentially see where a team that wants to get into the playoffs and is maybe a little on the bubble right now could pursue a Kyrie trade. So I have prepared. A pair of uh, a pair of trades here, a pair of potential trades. I believe you have as well with one of each type of these teams, and and we're yes, gonna uh, it, we're sorry. gonna trade Kyrie Irving. All right, <laughs> let's do it. I find it very interesting that you went about this from a basketball perspective in finding his <laughs> destinations. I did not. We'll get into that afterwards. But let's hear your real suggestions first before I <laughs> mock Kyrie Irving because he deserves <laughs> mocking for all of this. Sure. Uh, yeah, I, so the, this is actually, this is a pretty outside trade. Uh, I don't think this will actually happen, but I think it's interesting to talk about. So the team that I picked, I was like, what's a team that could just, just could want more star power, could want to like completely stack their lineup and create an unstoppable, you know, starting five. And I think the Miami Heat who are, you know, probably going to be top four in the conference, but maybe 
feel like they're a little on the outside looking in compared to the Nets or the Bucks or even the Sixers if Ben Simmons does come back. Um, obviously, I think this is unlikely to happen because I don't think that they would trade Kyrie to their a team that they could be competing with in the playoffs potentially. But the trade that I had devised was Kyrie Irving for Duncan Robinson, Tyler Hero, PJ Tucker, Victor Oladipo, and then you can throw in, you know, whatever whatever picks you want in there. Uh, obviously, it was a big thing last year that the Heat did not want to include Duncan and Hero in a trade for James Harden. I think that's probably a move that they regret now, considering what they could be with James Harden in my eyes. Um, so the Kyrie trade, it gives you a starting five of Kyle Lowry, Kyrie Irving, Jimmy Butler. You can sub in Markeith Morris or sub in a different bench player. And then bam, at a bio. The big problem is that the depth is really bad. You're looking at a bench of Casey, Okpala, Dwayne Dedman, Gabe Vincent, Max Truss. You'd be looking for potentially buyout guys to sort of shore up that depth. But But just, you know... On its face, what do you think about this trade for uh, for the Heat? Well, I like this one a lot. The only complicating factor, I think, is that, like you said, the Nets won't want to trade Kyrie to one of their main competitors in the East this year. But the Heat are a team that went it went for it this offseason but didn't do enough to pass the Bucks or the Sixers or the Nets. So they're sort of stuck in this no-man's land for me right now where they'll probably end up being the fourth seed but they're all in on the fourth seed. So I think that the Heat will be looking to make a big move this year if someone becomes available. Kyrie right now seems like a great one. Jimmy Butler and Kyle Lowry seem like they can keep him maybe kind of in line as much as you can. Like those are a couple of strong leaders from what we know. Uh, Yeah, the depth is an issue, but I like this trade for both teams. The Nets get a couple uh, young, good shooters. P.J. Tucker is a guy you want on any playoff contender. Victor Oladipo, a bounce-back candidate. So, yeah, this one I like. I think you uh, you came up with a good one here. Yeah, Oladipo, he, he's really a throw-in. I think they would rather trade Oladipo than, you know, Okpala, who has shown flashes at times. Yeah, I, I actually I do like it for the Nets quite a bit. Uh, you know, if you – it almost reminds me of the Rockets – when Chris Paul was on the team where you have like the two stars in Harden and Durant and then you just have great shooters. You have like, you could start Robinson and Joe Harris. You could be bringing in hero off the bench. Cause they, they do lack a little bit of guard depth. Um, it's mostly Bruce Brown and Patty Mills right now. I think they could use a third guard off the bench and hero would be really good in that spot. Um, and then like just amazing shooting with Duncan Robinson and Joe Harris. And then, you can sort of pick your poison as the starting center. I mean, you could even start Tucker if you wanted to go full rockets there. Yeah. I mean, that paint would be so open with those four guys on the perimeter. They would probably take about 85 threes a game, but the ball would move well. And if they could also find a move for some sort of, I know it's a dinosaur these days, but a guy who's good in the post, you could really feed him down well because no one would be able to leave the perimeter guarding against that lineup. So that's, so that's a path for the Nets. A little old-fashioned, but uh, get a good big man and surround him with the best shooters in the NBA. Yeah, the Nets are they're in an interesting spot right now, even you know, irrespective of any kind of trade that might happen. They are, they're weirdly loaded, but not loaded at the big man spots. So it's like they, they, they sort of like form the infinity gauntlet of 
I don't want to say washed up, but definitely past their prime forwards and big men. So they have Aldridge, who is hopefully back and healthy. They still have Blake Griffin. They signed Paul Millsap. Uh, no more DeAndre Jordan, so that, that cuts out some of the clog. But then they added James Johnson, and they still have Nick Claxton. So that's like five guys that you could conceivably say, like, this could be a starting player for the Brooklyn yeah, Nets. You, I could see in a world with Robinson and PJ Tucker there, I could see Paul Millsap being really good for them, a good defender down low, a good ball mover, a guy who can rebound. Paul Millsap, I think, still has a place. Yeah, they're, they're just weirdly loaded right now is the thing. Like, I think that if you're, you know, if you're giving minutes to Blake Griffin at the expense of a guy like Nick Claxton, who I think is very good, I think that might be a mistake. I think they're sort of overloaded with that type of guy. So it'll be interesting to see who shakes out as like the top of that rotation and whether they end up, you know, cutting guys, moving guys, whatever happens there. Uh, but I have a second trade for you. And this is to a team that is is probably trying to be a playoff hopeful that uh, have been the recipient of a beating from Kyrie Irving, who famously dropped 57 points on them. It's the San Antonio Spurs. And this trade, I don't know if you looked at it, Griffin. It's it's I would say it might be lacking in value for the Nets, I will say. But I think fit wise, it's really strong. Uh, so the trade would be Kyrie Irving for Derek White, Thaddeus Young, Jakob Pertl, and again, just throwing a bunch of first-rounders, as many as it takes to, to make it work. Uh, the Spurs, of course, they lost DeMar DeRozan in the offseason. They lost Rudy Gay. They need shot creators. They need scoring. And with this trade, you know, they don't give up any of their main guys. They don't give up DeJounte Murray. They don't give up Keldon Johnson. They don't give up Devin Vassell but they get Kyrie Irving. So like, it seems like an unequivocal win for them. Is that, is that fair? Yes. I think that's definitely a win for the Spurs. The on court fit is good. If you just look at the type of guy who has been a superstar for the Spurs going back, do you think that Kyrie fits in at all with the so-called Spurs culture? You look at a Tim Duncan or a Kyrie or a Kawhi Leonard, the, silent superstar doesn't get into trouble doesn't get controversial what about tony parker another great example don't you think tony parker is in a similar was almost in a similar situation like he was quite outspoken he had some you know his share of scandals there's the whole evil longoria thing with him where he sort of attracted some media attention um you know they've had they've had steven jackson on their team they they have had guys who are a little more loose cannons like not all of their guys never to this extent to the to the Kyrie Irving extent I don't know I think that Popovich and Irving would play about four games together before they couldn't stand each other and Kyrie would retire or Popovich would retire for that matter they might both retire it might be a a mutual retirement sure um but but yeah I I do like the on-court fit a lot I think he fills a need and like I said like they don't give up their main guys um, but I'm interested to hear what you think about uh, this trade from the Nets perspective. I think this is kind of a perfect trade for them. You know, you slot Derek White in as the two guard. You can slot Thaddeus Young in as the starting center even. And so you end up with a lineup of uh, James Harden, Derek White, Joe Harris, Kevin Durant, and Thaddeus Young. It's versatile. They, that team, I think, would defend really well. 
and then you know you have a bunch of pieces off the bench you have Pirtle there the one issue I think in adding Pirtle is like that like we were talking before is that it creates too much depth for them at the big man spots yeah, I mean, I think when you're, you're a team with James Harden and Kevin Durant, too much depth at the big man spots is something that you're not too concerned about. No matter what the Nets get back, they're going to be a superstar, probably the favorite in the East. I like this one a lot. Derek White is just one of those plug-and-play guys who can help you win games no matter where he is. Thaddeus Young as well, uh, just a good defender, a good paint presence. So, yeah, I think that this trade sets the Nets up well, like almost any trade would. Yeah, that's that's a fair point is that pretty much any return you get because you have some versatility there. It's almost like we were talking about the Raptors a couple of weeks ago and how, you know, you have a player who could play either guard position. You have a player who can play either forward position. That's true. Of the Nets as well, where you can play James Harden next to more of a pure point guard, more of a pure ball handler because he plays with Kyrie right now. And then Kevin Durant, you can put him in at the three or four, depending on what the return looks like. So. It, it is pretty easy to construct a, a contending team with the Nets. Um, but I think, Griffin, you took a, a different approach here to well, finding a trade for Kyrie. Yeah, coincidentally, both of your teams did fit my criteria. I was thinking more, we got to find a place for Kyrie to play that doesn't allow vaccine mandates. This is apparently the most important thing in the world to him. He's willing to <laughs> give up an entire season where he could win a championship to do it. So Kyrie can't be out here representing some liberal elite coastal state. We've got mm-hmm. to get him to a place where, <clears throat> pardon me, Let's... we've got to get Kyrie where to a place where he can go out and play with a good conscience. So both of your teams happen to fit that. The Miami Heat in Florida and the San Antonio Spurs in Texas. I'm not sure if you took that in, into consideration. Well, I'm still happy for you. We're going to start out with a trade that makes absolutely no sense. One of the states with the loosest vaccine mandates is the great state of Arizona. Kyrie's going to the Phoenix Suns. This is basically what happens if the Suns admit that they didn't like going to the finals last year and don't want to do it again. Uh, Just to, to get the salary to work, I had Kyrie going to the Suns for Jay Crowder, Dario Saric campaign, and Tyler Johnson. What do you think of that one, Chris? The great Tyler Johnson. I mean... Oh, it might have been Cam Johnson. I forget. <laughs> it's probably Cam Johnson. I believe Tyler Johnson... Uh, where is he now? Miami? He, yeah, he likes yeah it was Cam guy. Johnson. My mistake. There's too many Johnsons. Yeah, I mean... Uh, <laughs> this does create a bit of a depth issue, I will say. Uh, you're looking at... Guy, you know, you still have Landry Shamit. You're looking at guys like Alfred Payton to be a contributor. Uh, Abdul Nader would probably be asked to uh, to step in here. Uh, it's a it's an interesting move <laughs> from yeah. from, a, from a talent perspective. You know, I can almost see this world where you know you have three borderline unstoppable threats on the perimeter. You put Mikal Bridges at power forward. You know, you go all in on this small size around DeAndre Ayton. You have a ton of, well, I guess defense would also be an issue as well. You know, uh, uh, the more I talk about the trade, the less I like it. But, you know, if you if you just want to go all in from a talent perspective, I mean, you wouldn't think that Chris Paul and James Harden would necessarily be a great fit together. You wouldn't necessarily think that Kyrie Irving and James Harden would be a great fit together. So, you know, uh, the, the great players, as we've seen time and time again, if you just put enough talent on the court, they'll figure it out. So uh, so I like it. I mean, I'm all in on this. 
Oh, good. I'm glad to hear you say that. No, yeah. Full <laughs> disclosure, the Phoenix Suns will never and should never do this. It would be terrible for them. But uh, I like it for the Nets. They, they replaced Kyrie with a solid ball handler and campaign. Uh, they campaign. <laughs> oh, we got to get a campaign for campaign. That is... Am I the first one to ever make that joke, do you think? Very much no. Uh, uh, but I appreciate your moxie. Yeah, I mean, you, you got a good playoff guy and Jay Crowder, D, three and D guy. You got a couple floor stretchers and Johnson and Sarge. This is great for the Nets. Suns will never do it. Moving on to our next state that <laughs> Wait, doesn't hold, hold allow. On, hold on. I I just want to talk about you describing campaign as a uh, as an ideal Kyrie Irving replacement. Uh, you know, Bill Simmons was on the Zach Lowe podcast. He of the the interesting takes. And he was talking about how, you know, not losing Kyrie didn't matter for the Nets because they have Patty Mills. And so I think you're sort of taking a similar track here by, by saying that campaign is the, is the new Kyrie. I saw a graphic that was posted on the scores Instagram the other day that asked which new, which offseason addition is going to make a bigger impact Patty Mills or Russell Westbrook. Did I miss something with Patty Mills is Patty Mills. Did he go out and grow eight inches and add a half court shot in the offseason? Why is Patty Mills being compared to Kyrie Irving and Russell Westbrook? What happened? Maddie Pills, man. I mean, you know, I, I do like the move for, for Brooklyn. Especially. He's fine. <laughs> he is fine. I, I personally, I would not want him as a starting point guard on my team. I think he's great in a six man role. But, uh, you know, yeah, not if you're trying to win a championship. But you anyway. Know, it's, it's possible that he works out for the Nets better than uh, Russell Westbrook works out for the Lakers. You never know. No, I'm all in on 360. You see that? That's what they call Anthony Davis, LeBron James, and mm. Russell Westbrook because they were the numbers three, right. six, and zero. Great nickname. Sure. Going to win the championship. Uh, next state we're going to, the great state of Georgia. Uh, <laughs> Kyrie's going to be a Georgia peach. And uh, he's going to play for the Atlanta Hawks. I've got, I want him and Trey Young playing together in mm-hmm. maximum. Like, I feel like that would create a great competition within their own team where they wouldn't Mm -hmm. care about anything about outdoing the other one. So I've got him going to the Hawks in exchange for Danilo Gallinari, DeLon Wright, and all the picks you can add. DeLon Wright, another ideal Kyrie replacement in that he is a point guard. And Gallinari, good bench score. There you go. Yeah, uh, certainly fantastic floor spacing uh, for, for both teams, really. I do think that uh, that DeLon Wright might struggle a little bit uh, if you put him in the Kyrie Irving role. I don't see him as a, a pure scorer in the vein of Kyrie Irving, but, uh, you know, he there's some potential there. Uh, He'll shore believe... up the defense. If... <laughs> sure. Uh, but I'm, I'm really interested in this final trade you have for us from, from one, other, one other fan state. This one goes out to all our Midwest fans. Uh, this one's for you. The panhandle itself, Oklahoma, does not have a lot of vaccine mandates. It's the perfect candidate for Kyrie Irving. He's going to the Oklahoma City Thunder in exchange for a good young player in Trey Mann, another great defender in Lugens Dort. I threw in Derek Favors for salary and starting big man plus a bunch of picks. Uh, what do you think of this one, Chris? What about this fascinates you so much? Um, I just, I love the idea of Lugan Stort on the Brooklyn Nets, you know, the, the Brooklyn Nets, they, they had Timoth, Timothee Luau Cabarot on their team, uh, at one point last year. I think that their team that would really benefit from having, uh, having a strong perimeter defender alongside them, you know, 
We saw what Matisse Tybel did for the uh, Philadelphia 76ers. I love the idea of, uh, of putting Dort in Brooklyn. And of course, <laughs> it's a great trade for the Thunder as well because they get Kyrie Irving for Trey Mann. So I, I love it. I feel like I'm going crazy here, but uh, some great trades by you, Griffin. Thank you. Yeah, well, I wanted to keep Kyrie's best interest at heart. He's just someone who I really admire, someone who I really look up to mm-hmm. for taking a stand. No, I'm being sarcastic, Chris. Kyrie, oh. shut the hell up. Report to the Nets. Get your goddamn vaccine. Be thankful for it and play basketball. Yeah, you're always saying that people should shut up and dribble, right? I knew you were going to say that. That's <laughs> not what I'm saying. I'm saying that Kyrie is more than free to express himself. In this case, he's just wrong, and he's being dangerously wrong, and that's where I draw the line. That's more than fair. Uh, but, Griffin, let's move on to our final segment. A little more fun. We're, we're, we have a third segment today. We're, more fun than my trades? It's true. You kind of monopolized the fun there for a second. Uh, but we're going to talk about... It's, it's a film that just came out last week, actually. We're going we're gonna to go into Movie Corner. Uh, the new James Bond film, No Time to Die, came out last week. Griffin, have you seen No Time to Die yet? I have not yet, Chris, but I certainly hope to. I have nothing but uh, love for James Bond, the coolest of cool, the suavest of suave. Can't wait. Heard good things. Have you seen it, Chris? You see every movie, so I assume you have. I have seen it. Uh, I do tend to make my fair share of trips out to the theater, so I I have caught uh, No Time to Die. I did enjoy it quite a bit. Uh, You know, nothing, nothing tops Casino Royale in my mind, but a very solid entry. Uh, But more importantly, it is the last James Bond film with Daniel Craig in the title role. So somebody new will be taking up the mantle the next time we see James Bond. And I thought that uh, we could have a little fun here and pick some professional athletes and make the case for, for them as the new James Bond. So Griffin, you, you've compiled a list here of, uh, of a few players. Give me, give me one of your picks for the next James Bond from the sports world. Uh, well, my first pick, I did have to go with a British gentleman. And my, uh, <laughs> oh, interesting. Yeah, yeah, my first pick is the great Marcus Rashford. He is English. Uh, he's cool as hell. He's handsome. All the things you have to be as James Bond. Uh, he could work on the clutch delivery a little bit, which mm. James Bond always happens to pull out. Marcus, of course, didn't do that at the Euros, but I think it's nothing but up for Marcus Rashford. We know that he's a guy who cares about a gr- the greater good. He was willing to stand up to the uh, government in England in order to secure meals for school children when school wasn't happening during COVID. So just a really great guy. I think that that's I mean, James Bond, a little morally questionable at times to kill people and all that, but he does it for the right reasons, Chris. He does it to Mm. defend the people of England, and that's what Marcus Rashford does. He had all of England behind him after that tough loss, and of course, the uh, horrible racism that he had to tolerate. I think that much more of England rose up to have his back than they did to attack him. So I think Marcus Rashford is a great pick for the next James Bond. I, I love this pick. Uh, I noticed that on your list, a lot of a lot of the people that you chose mostly just have the argument of cool as hell in in front of them. What there is nothing more important to being James Bond than being cool as hell. James Bond, all everyone who sees a James Bond movie wants to be James Bond because James Bond is so cool, and that I think is the number one takeaway when casting a James Bond. 
I think you're right. Um, I have a pick who is very cool, in my opinion. Uh, he also hails from across the pond, governor. Uh, this is someone that you often don't realize was born in the United Kingdom. He's a fellow by the name of O.G. Ananobi. He hails uh, from England originally. I believe he was born there. He's a huge fashion fan. You know, Bond always looking great. His uh, his tuxedos and his various accoutrements. Uh, he invented the scarf. Yes, he he put Sergi Baca on the scarves. Sergi Baca would be another great uh, James That's Bond, true. I will say. He isn't uh, on either of our lists, but you want to talk about handsome. Absolutely. I mean, but uh, OG, I think, is a better fit because of his, his steely yet suave demeanor on the court. Uh, and of course, as we've seen in the Raptors preseason, he is improving as a marksman. Uh, so I think that I see him as sort of, you know, like, like in Casino Royale, you have OG Ananobi as a young Bond. Uh, he's just learning the ropes. He's still sort of learning how to take a, a pull-up Walther PPK, as you might say. Uh, but but we'll we'll develop into a true double O agent, a double yeah. OG agent, a double Ooh. O OG, OG seven double O double OG seven. Um, <laughs> we're, we're, just, we're all around it. We're circling it. There we go. We're, we'll we'll land on it by the time next episode rolls around. Absolutely. But I love this pick. As soon as I saw that on your list, I was like, oh, fantastic! Uh, this uh, like a silent killer mm-hmm. type OG no emotion never flustered as we saw when he hit that great buzzer beater in the bubble against boston he said any shot that i take i expect to make why would i celebrate that's the perfect bond attitude og ananobi's a great choice yeah straight into your next choice yeah absolutely i'm just that james bond famously never celebrates when he uh makes a big (laughs) shot snipes the guy that goes yeah let's go <laughs> that, would, that would be cool that would be a fun twist that for one's James. for england baby he like points into the camera maybe <laughs> yeah. slap pumps his chest a little bit he's aware uh, that he's a in good... a movie in this uh, in this situation yeah i mean what are we talking book james bond chris Come of on. course not um but my other selection is uh i i the more I thought about this, the more I liked this pick. Uh, I wanted to seek out a female James Bond because that is a, a huge talking point surrounding uh, James Bond is in- introducing some diversity to the character. I quite honestly, I don't think we'll see a female James Bond anytime soon. Uh, the character, Society you know, society just isn't ready for women. Chris, his, we gotta get there. His lovable misogyny is such a key feature of, <laughs> of James Bond. But in all seriousness, uh, Lashana Lynch is in the new No Time to Die. She is fantastic. I could actually easily see a world where they give her her own spinoff, where she is a... Uh, well, I, I, won't, I won't say anything more about yeah, don't what, spoil uh, anything. what takes place in the movie. But I, I think she could be more than deserving of a of spinoff film focusing on her character. But my pick for a, uh, a female James Bond or a female 007 is Maya Moore. Uh, not, not an active athlete, I will say, but she has not a, she is not officially retired. So I'm counting her as a, a current athlete. Uh, she has a quick trigger finger. Uh, I, I was watching some highlights earlier today. I saw her make several uh, pull off, pull up threes, clutch threes off the dribble. So uh, definitely a, a quick release. She has a great bag of tricks. She has tons of dribble moves, uh, you know, almost Kyrie Irving-esque in her uh, in her paint moves. And as we know, already know, uh, 
based on her experiences outside of the WNBA, a very strong sense of justice. Uh, I don't think that her time as James Bond, you know, if she was James Bond, she could just uh, parachute into the prison where Jonathan Irons was being unjustly held captive and bust him out with a, a proximity mine. It certainly would be a lot more efficient than the ordeal that she was unfortunately forced to go through. <laughs> this was another great pick by you, Chris. Uh, I can see Maya Moore as like a James Bond for a new era. Maybe in her first movie, she goes through and she reveals and she re- reveals that, hey, maybe MI5 hasn't always been the best organization. She tries to make a little change from the inside. Truly a Bond who would make the world a better place, I think. Yeah, or MI6 even. What? Well, <laughs> all right. I haven't seen No Time to Die yet. So I need a little refresher on all my Bond things i was only off by one sure yeah there's a movie called mi5 i believe uh kit harrington is in it so you know it's basically the yeah. same thing but uh that might be but, a real world choice for the next james bond if we're talking oh that would be guys. uh that'd be interesting i will say uh, but griffin you have another selection here uh let's hear from you about uh about your your pick Yeah, coincidentally, I also uh, wanted to get a Jane Bond in there, if you will, because I think that would be awesome. I think we're ready. So I chose not English, but I chose Megan Rapinoe. And this is the one in particular, cool as hell. Megan Rapinoe is awesome. She's got the great hair. Another person who really is not afraid to get her opinion out there to stand up for what she believes in. And also, I just both of my picks were soccer players. Soccer just seems like a james bond type sport it's the beautiful game it's sophisticated it's suave you gotta have patience you gotta deliver the perfect pass very similar to hitting a big snipe i think megan (laughs) rapino would make a big would make a great jane bond you seem to associate the character of james bond with sniping not Uh, in skyfall oh wait in skyfall does he he gets sniped yeah, there definitely is a sniper in Skyfall. I can't say I've seen the film recently. Uh, but yeah, I, I don't really think of James Bond. I If I'm going to associate him with a weapon, it's, of course, his trademark pistol. Yeah, well, I haven't seen a lot of James <laughs> Bond movies, but you know what? Maybe he just uh, hits a lot of good pistol shots. Sure, and you can you snipe can call those pistol. snipes. Yeah, absolutely. I will, uh, I will give you that one. Yeah, I, I like this pick. I'm I don't know if I agree that soccer is a James Bond sport only because I don't think he's much of a team player. I think uh, time and time Mm. again, he has shown a difficulty in, in working within a team environment. And so I think maybe he's more of a a tennis guy or a golf guy. That's a very good point. James Bond famously cannot be controlled, cannot be tied down. I want to throw a bonus pick in there, Chris, not an athlete, but fulfills Mm -hmm. my essential cool as hell factor Anyone who talks to him wants to be him. Masai Ujiri, I think, would also be a great James Bond. Mm. I can really picture that. Uh, he he definitely has the the sophistication, the the confidence. The uh... yeah, exactly. No matter what's going on, Masai is always one step ahead. I think that's important to a James Bond. He mm. always knows how's he good, how he's going to get in, how he's going to get out, uh, and if he has to improvise, he can do that too. So. Yeah, that's absolutely. another pick I'm very happy with. <laughs> well, be be proud. It's your day. Uh, but yeah, that is uh, that is our list of future James Bonds. I'm sure one of these, there'll probably be one of these people that we mentioned, right? 
Oh yeah, for sure. I can. This is the five. This is the five that are on the short list. Yeah, precisely. Idris Elba, get out of here. You're being replaced by Marcus Rashford. Uh, but that was. I our... think that would make a lot of money. I'm okay. Sure. Yeah. They Give the proceeds the... to uh, school kids who need meals. Sure. Absolutely. Any any time the school kids can be fed, we support that here on high floor, low ceiling. Uh, That's our official show stance on school kids who need meals. Give it to them. Yeah, they should have it. Uh, but that is our discussion on it's. I guess it's our discussion on No Time to Die. It's. I don't think it'll come up again, but we'll see. Maybe we'll do a year-end movie roundup. Ooh, uh, that'd be fun. But that is going to do it for that segment, and by extension, it's going to do it for this episode of High Floor Low Ceiling. Uh, you can follow myself on Twitter at C House and Jan. C-H-O-W-S-O-N-J-A-N. You can follow Griffin at Griffin Porter 97 G-R-I-F-F-I-N-P-O-R-T-E-R, the number nine and the number seven. Uh Griffin, how do you how do you feel like we did this week uh, in our in our I, online capacity? Well, I loved I loved what we talked about. I don't love doing it online. I miss you. Oh. Uh, I miss being in the studio with you, getting to see you roll your eyes at all of my suggestions getting to roll my eyes at all of your jokes mm-hmm. uh, so i can't wait to get back in the studio with you next week and uh yeah thank you everyone so much for listening we'll see you soon absolutely see you next week